Hello, and welcome to part two of Legacy Week, featuring our debut episode of The Goonies. This is part two of Legacy Week. On this episode, we will be covering the entire story, the entire film of The Goonies, as well as talk its legacy. Now, we do have... <clears throat> unfortunately, I tried to compile a bunch of guests. Uh, it didn't work out, fell through. So, we are going to have uh, Lou Smith pop on real quick and just explain... Uh, what the Goonies means to him, and just talk about it real quick towards the end as I'm talking about the the legacy of the film. So, here we are. Part 2. So, this was always going to be, like, the main, you know, part of the series, I, I guess, if you will. The other ones were, you know, kind of a, a prologue and a, uh, you know, postscript type uh, episodes. Like I said, originally it was going to be a four-part episode. Uh, I cut it down into two. Um, the next episode, the next Legacy Week episodes will be a four-part. And um, you know what? Uh, it's going to be a good one, that one. And that will be happening at the end of July. And I believe that will be our wrap-up. That will be our wrap-up uh, podcast for season three of the Heart Guide Media Podcast. And then, um, you know, that first week in September, you know, I started this. I started recording, I think, the Labor Day weekend of 2017. I've since, as when I, you know, the inception of this podcast started then. Actually started after the deaths of George Romero and Toby Hooper. And I just wanted to talk, you know, bring the conversations I had with friends, uh, to, from text and, and just combos we had when we were hanging out, and I wanted to bring them to a recorded format. And, uh, you know, it's been almost three years of doing this, and uh, definitely a labor of love, and out of just, you know, not out of building a fan base. Like, you know, I, I you know, pay very little to keep this podcast going, and uh, our viewership, viewership, uh, I guess, listenership, is uh still small and I have no problem with that because I didn't get I didn't do this to get obviously it would have been nice to get a huge following but I guess maybe we're not as you know controversial and we don't have like three or four talking heads on this constantly and we're not just like yelling and screaming and and doing things like that I mean that does happen I mean see uh, our list episodes, any where we did top five or top ten lists, and see the uh, three-hour Friday the Thirteenth episode we did. Um, also, our Stephen King episodes, uh, and those uh, that first year of uh, podcasting was probably my favorite. Uh, definitely the first few months, and then after that, like it got a little, it got a little tedious trying to get people to come on. Uh, and it still is, you know, I'm working around schedules, no one really lives close by, and now we're dealing with a pandemic on top of all that. Um, but regardless, here we are, Goonies Part 2. And, uh, yeah, this is, like I said, this is one of my favorite films. It was a film I loved and adored growing up, and it's just been a, a landmark film in my eyes and in my life. I think it exemplifies and the themes behind it are still very integral to who I am. I mean, as dramatic as that sounds, but it's it's true. And it's uh, it's just been, you know, very cool to kind of just talk about it. Um, even though I know there's only, you know, a, a, a smaller group of people, you know. Uh, I mean, I'll add it right now. We only have, like, probably... 26 subscribers, um, but, you know, half, more than half of those people, I have no clue who they are, so, I think that's cool, and, uh, that's all I really strive for, uh, I only really do this for myself, and for a few friends, so, there's that, uh, so, Goonies, part two, and we are covering the entire story, kind of gave you the rundown on the origins, and, you know, Christopher Columbus, and, And Steven Spielberg, uh, you know, coming up with the story and the script, and Richard Donner directing, and kind of gave you the whole rundown of the cast and crew, and the origins of how this film came to be. And uh, here we are, you know, 
the movie itself uh, actually screened on a drive-in recently here in upstate New York, and unfortunately I didn't get to go see it because I was waiting to watch the movie, and I watched it uh, last week, but I, I'm going to watch it today to celebrate. It's 35th anniversary, 35 years ago today, on Sunday the 7th of June, 1985, this movie came out, and here we are, Sunday the 7th of 2020. The movie is 35 years old, and it holds up very, 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 very well. So, here we go. Now, the movie starts with uh, the Fratelli clan breaking out of jail. Jake Fratelli, played by Robert Davi, is, uh, you know, fakes his suicide. And, uh, you know, uh, Jake Fratelli fakes his suicide in the uh, the county jail that he's in. And uh, Joe, Joe Pantolino, uh, Joey Pants, playing his, uh, his, uh, his bald, rug-wearing brother, uh, is breaking him out with their mother, played by Anne Ramsey. Uh, and they, intelligently enough, uh, set a fire around the, the police station so they can't chase after the escaping Jake Fratelli. Uh, so he gets away with Francis and his mother, Mama Fratelli. And uh, I, I love the little nuances in the film are what truly make it, too. Uh, I love that she's wearing, uh, like, these black leather gloves. The, just, like, uh, they just, you know, speak that she's a a well-put-together criminal. She's wear, She wears a beret. Um, I think she's supposed to be an ex, uh, you know, she was supposed to be in the Navy. Uh, there was, like, a joke on the outtakes about her being in the Navy, so I don't know if that's something they ran with, but, you know, she's a very, she runs a, uh, a sophisticated, albeit uh, well put together, uh, crime syndicate with her two sons, or her—I should I say her three sons? I, I think her third son is a little unwilling with the whole uh, crime angle that they run with their within the family. But uh, and uh, as they're escaping, we see uh, you know we see Rosa Rosalita uh, was in the beginning of the film before she got introduced as Rosalita the woman who is helping the Walsh's pack up. Um, and then, uh, you know, we get an introduction and we get run through all the Goonies. We see, you know, we see uh, Chunk uh, doing what Chunk does. I love that he just, like, uh, you know, we get, like, the, the whole rundown. Of, and we get a good example in small little parts, all five, six-second parts of who each character truly is, more or less. Uh, and, uh, so Chunk's just, like, crushing a milkshake in, like, the, the, <laughs> the convenience store window or the 7-Eleven window, and he, he crushes it against the thing because he's looking out at the, uh, the police chase, and, uh, and I love the, uh, that, as they're introducing him, I love that that's what, that's what I said lines when, uh, you know, Data, uh, when they're in a cave and Data's like, you know, they're set in uh, booty traps. Like, what are you talking about? They're booby traps, not booty traps. That's what I said, booby traps. And uh, Mikey has a, a similar line where he, he uh, says that that's what I said lines. But, uh, you know, you, you get introduced to uh, Brandon and Mikey, and you see, you know, Mikey is the younger brother. Brand, a.k.a. Brandon is the older brother. And him and Mouth are... Or razzing him uh, because he flunked his driver's test, and they were hoping, you know, they were one of these uh, goonies. The older brother was going to get his license and be able to kind of truck them around, and they wouldn't have to ride their their uh, rad BMX bikes through the uh, through the misty and wet city of Astoria or village of Astoria, rather. Uh, but you get a good breakdown of what Mouth is uh, too. He starts, you know, he's razzing Bran, and just like you can the. The character I don't think could have been played by anyone other than Corey Feldman, Clark uh, Clark Devereaux. Um, but uh, it, it's just such a cool dynamic we see immediately. And then, you know, Chunk shows up. And, of course, what do you make your fat friend do? You make him dance and shake his st stomach to get in. And they, you, we see the Wayne Solinsky little gimmicks they got outside the house. I mean, granted, this is pre- uh, this is pretty honey. I shrunk the kids, but the little, 
you know, something that looks like Data. Data, uh, you know, is uh, the Mr. Gadget of the group. It looks like something that Data helped uh, conspire to make, for sure. And uh, so, after we get introduced to the Walshes, uh, the, at least the brothers Walsh, we get uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who plays the mom. She is the mom of all moms, especially in 80s films. And uh, I don't know if... I don't... Oh, so, uh, jumping uh, a little ahead of myself, but Mary Ellen Trainer has a has her arm in a sling. I don't know if her arm was really broken. I could not find anything on it. Um, and I, I was doing a little research and I couldn't find if she was actually, if she actually had an injured arm or not. Uh, so I thought that was interesting that, uh, they chose to put Mrs. Walsh in a arm in a sling, but that, that thus created the character of Rosalita to come help her. Uh, Rosalita does not speak English. Um, and Clark happens to speak English. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Uh, sorry. So the, uh, they break the, I think it, is it, uh, Leonardo da Vinci or, I, I can't remember what the, the sculpture was, but, uh, it obviously is, you know, uh, ancient, uh, Rome maybe, or Italy, whatever, uh, Rome, and, uh, they break it, they break the junk off the statue, and uh, one of my favorite lines is, oh, that's my mom's favorite part. I don't know why he would know that, um, but that was uh, funny, and little things like that make the movie, uh, you know, feel more than a kid's movie <laughs> when you get things like that. It's definitely, at the very least, a teenage movie. It's, uh, you know, it, 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 at times it could have been spun easily into a teenage sex comedy uh, if uh, certain scenes went uh, a little further than we... Uh, than we would have anticipated, but, uh, when the mother comes in, you know, they, they end up, uh, being able to hide that they, uh, broke the junk off the statue, and, uh, we get introduced to Mrs. Walsh, and Rosalita is going to help them pack, because they are moving out of the boondock, or the goondocks, rather, uh, you know, this country club's coming in and buying out all the land, and they have to move, they have to move out of town, uh, and they're leveling all these water, this waterway, you know, uh, community that are, are right on the uh, Pacific Ocean, and they're making it into a country club. The uh, the rich, the riches, uh, Troy, who plays the uh, the rich asshole, who is a love interest of Andy, and it appears that they are together, or he's trying to be with her, but they hang out, they run in the same crowd. She's you know cheerleader, Troy's a football player, uh, which is an interesting dynamic because Bran works out and he wears the cutoff uh, sweatshirt, sweatpants, uh, workout gear, and a headband, might I add, a very stylish, uh, albeit 80s uh, headband, for sure. Uh, so Bran's kind of like, you could tell Bran's a loner in, you know, because he's older than these kids, but you can tell immediately that he's a, a loner in his in his uh, age group as well, and that may be why he kind of has no problem, uh, even though, you know, he razzes on the rest of them and kind of treats them like they're the nerdy geeks, but I think deep down Bran knows he's a nerdy geek as well. Uh, so, Rosalita comes in, and luckily, Clark, Mouth, Devereaux, knows how to speak Spanish, so Mrs. Walsh asks, asks uh, Mouth to translate for her, and oh, it's it's so great because Mouth is just telling her, you know, uh, you know, they're like, oh, can you tell her to pack this stuff up? And Mouth's just telling her to make sure you separate the drugs, you know, the the pot in the top drawer, cocaine in the second, heroin in the third. Always separate the drugs. They go to the attic. Uh, you know, <laughs> Clark just uh, tells her that uh, Mrs. Walsh. That's where Mr. Walsh keeps his sexual torture devices. Uh, never go up there. <laughs> So little things like that obviously make it a little bit more than a children's movie. It's definitely more than a children's movie. And that's that's something I think I wanted to kind of get across. Because I think The Goonies kind of, kind of gets written off as a children's film. And it's so much more. Uh, I mean, it's why I'm 32 years old and I still enjoy this film uh, today. But uh, so they are going... They make their way up to... Uh, the mother and Rosalie to leave... Uh, 
the boys make their way upstairs into the attic, and you know we see that you you know Mr. Walsh is works for the uh, Astoria History Museum, so he's like a an historian for the town, and he works at the museum, the the Library of Arts or, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, they go upstairs, and, and Mr. Walsh has all this pirate these pirate artifacts and this ancient Astoria artifacts of the town and all the, these paintings and, and and what have you and uh you know they're kind of already explaining that the pirates were kind of the rejects of Astoria at the time uh kind of you know drawing parallels you know to the pirates of ancient Astoria Oregon or before it was Astoria Oregon I think um and, uh, you know, the Goonies, who the Goonies are now. And so, you know, they find the map by breaking the picture. Uh, and you're seeing all the, the stuff that's in the attic. Uh, so they find this map and, you know, they start talking with their older brother, Brands, saying, you know, this stuff's bad news. And, and so they end up finding the this treasure map, and they start talking about you know One-Eyed Willie. One-Eyed Willie apparently was this uh, you know this pirate that hid this treasure, and it's it's been talked about. It's a uh, local lore. And then you know Chester Copperpot is the is a, a crusader who tried to find this and you know disappeared pretty much. And uh, they, you know, like I said, they find all this out because Mr. Walsh works, uh, runs the uh, Astoria History Museum. And uh, so then you get Troy's father dropping by. Troy's father is the rich country club asshole that is buying out all the goondocks. And, uh, you know, he just down talks uh, the boys and treats them like kids and just a... The typical rich country club asshole because um, they dropped off the papers that Mr. Walsh has to sign to sign over the land over him so they can build their country club on it and expand it and uh move these uh move this these families out of the uh the goondocks this little waterways community that lives right on the you know the edge of uh the pacific ocean so the map brings them to the old restaurant so before that we see the boys tie up bran and escape on their red BMX bikes. Clark letting out the air on Brand's tires, and uh, you know the map brings them to a uh, old broken down restaurant. And uh, the Fratellis are hiding there. Fratellis are hiding out, uh, as we you know saw at the beginning of the film. Jake and uh, Francis and and Mama Fratelli broke Jake out of uh, jail, and now they are uh, they are hiding. So, uh, you know, at the beginning of the film, as we, you know, they almost ran over Rosalita and Chunks smashing the, the strawberry milkshake against the 7-Eleven door, you know, there was a shootout. They were having a shootout with the police. So the boys get there and uh, Chunk discovers the bullet holes in the Jeep, uh, but it's already too late. They're on the porch and, and they're walking, walking in and they meet Mama Fratelli right off the bat. And what's Mouth do? Of course, he fucking starts shit talking. And, you know, because she's just like, oh, what do you want? What are you here for? Oh, what? you know, trying to play it off like they just kind of stumbled upon it. You know, four waters, is that all? And, of course, Mouth's like, no, I want a veal scallopini. And uh, starts talking about fucking how he wants wine. Uh, 1941. And uh, it's, uh, you know, of course, Mouth getting him into into trouble. <laughs> and I fucking like that, you know, they get dropped this terrible fucking water, and, uh, <laughs> Mike, Mikey has to go to the bathroom, and, uh, <laughs> I love that fucking, he's like, uh, Chunk's like, oh, Mikey, I don't think this is the kind of place that you want to go to the bathroom in, and Ann Ramsey's character of Mama Vitelli innocently goes, why not? And uh, just those little nuances make the film so enjoyable. It's those little nuances of the acting that make the, the movie so enjoyable. And uh, I'll apologize right now that I don't have any guests running this through because it would be so so much you know more entertaining, I'm sure, to talk with other people. But you know, I quickly found out that apparently a movie you know that I was so passionate about, and I was uh, 
you know, speaking about how it's really about friendship and all that stuff, and none of my fucking friends love it as much as I do. But like I said, Lou's going to be coming on to, uh, thankfully, uh, come on and just kind of speak on the legacy of this. But, uh, you know, they discover Sloth in the basement. Uh, well, Mikey sees Sloth, Sloth in the basement and uh, comes running out. And uh, I love that she's just like, when they run out and she chases them out, uh, she just, and I love this line where she just rests her back on the door and just goes, kids suck. Just, uh, you know, she immediately, you know, you and you could tell she wasn't the greatest mother. She obviously raised two criminals and the deformed sloth who you see very, uh, you know, slightly, you see that he is a deformed human that is chained up watching TV in a back room, unfortunately. So, uh, they come back with, uh, actually, uh, you know what, I forgot to mention, my apologies, uh, as Bran was hightailing and chasing, uh, them on the bikes, he encounters Andy and Steph, and gets introduced, we get introduced to Andy and, and, and Steph. Now, they are with Troy in his car, and Troy tries running Bran off the, well, does ran, run Bran off the road. And uh, Bran, Andy, and Martha make their way and, and meet them out as they're uh, running out of the uh, restaurant. So then at that point, you know, they they make their way back in after uh, the Fratellis uh, hightail it out of there. So, uh, so they're trying to break back in. And uh, one of my favorite parts is... Uh, Mouth's uh, shit talking chunk and says, "Hey, got naked pictures of uh, your mom. Uh, I'll sell them real cheap." And and uh, you know causes uh, chunk to storm through the door and they break back into the restaurant. Uh, so then they end up uh, you know making their way down into the basement where they find uh, a dead body and chunk just yells, "It's a stiff!" Uh, just like just brilliant like uh, brilliant acting uh by these kids these kids really just uh just really tapped into like what it would be like to be in this group of friends and you know they're smart they're you know they're <laughs> i mean I, I don't know the the actor that played uh chunk uh jeff cohen was uh i think the youngest was the youngest actor in the in the film and he uh he just plays chunk so well and it's so goddamn entertaining and, uh, so when the, the Fratellis come back, they come back with pizza and I love that the brothers are yelling and fighting over, yelling and fighting over the pizza, uh, and they're going to shoot each other over the pizza. Uh, another one of my favorite, uh, favorite little anecdotes of the film and shows the the rivalry and how the, these brothers are just, uh, obviously last name Fratelli. They're, they're very Italian and very, uh. And they, they speak, uh, you know, they speak, uh, Eng or not English, they speak Italian. We get, you know, Robert Davi's uh, character of Jake Fratelli singing in, <laughs> singing in uh, Italian several times in the film, which is fucking hilarious. And I don't know where that little nuance came from. I don't know if it was written in the script or if it's something Robert Davi came up with. I have a feeling it was something Robert Davi came up with because it's just uh, genius and hilarious. So Chunk actually gets... Uh, accidentally locked in the freezer with the uh, quote-unquote stiff uh and uh <laughs> so he, chunk uh, chunk gets out and he's running away to and uh you know later on in the film they show him escaping or you know a little bit down the road they show him escaping it out of there and he's running away <laughs> <laughs> I love when Chunk runs up on Jake Fratelli and he sees the SUV, but he can't see who's inside. And he's just like, please, mister, these people are after us. It's the Fratellis. And, uh, <laughs> and the light clicks on and then fucking Jake Fratelli just starts fucking singing uh, Italian. And uh, and then Chunk, or, or no, before he even starts singing Italian, Chunk Chunk starts singing in Italian, and then he, when Robert Davi's character breaks into it, uh, fucking Chunk starts screaming. It's just, it's brilliant. I mean, you can even like, how great is Jeff Cohen? 
it's a shame that he did not go on to do more stuff, especially in his, you know, teenage years. I could, I feel like he could have been the jovial, jovial, pudgy, hilarious uh, actor kid who could have been in so many amazing roles. But I'm so grateful we got him for at least this because I don't think, again, I don't think anybody could have played Chunk the way Jeff Cohen did at a young, you know, I think he was 11, 12 years old. It's freaking crazy. So, um, <laughs> so they, they catch Chunk, you know, later on they show Chunk confessing, you know, they're going to put his hand in a goddamn, they're throwing Roma tomatoes in a goddamn magic bullet and threatening Chunk if he doesn't fucking, you know, Joey Pants, uh, as Francis Fratelli is like, we want to know everything, everything, everything. So Chunk starts fucking telling him everything, how he fucking, you know, just tore up fucking homework, blamed it on the fucking dog. He puked in a bag and fucking poured it on a crowd. And I love that Jake Fratelli's like, I'm starting to like this kid after he, and that, that seems like, uh, it was, uh, interesting because that just seemed that whole puking scene. Obviously this came out the, the same, this came out the, the summer that I think, uh, Sam, stand by me was filming, uh, and I thought that was funny because obviously we hear uh, a story that Gordy Lachance tells in Stand By Me about uh, Lardass Hogan, uh, you know, creating a pukerama at the uh, at the local fair for a pie eating contest. But uh, I thought that was a cool little uh, you know drawing correlation. I, the the puke uh, the mentioning of the puke uh, scene that Chunk describes and the the one in Stand By Me that you know obviously we got. We got Corey Feldman in both films, thankfully. But the, uh, you know, and that shows the the group of kids are, are going into, are going, you know, on this crusade. They, uh, when the Fratellis come down and Chunk gets stuck in the, the freezer, they make their way into the fireplace and then they start their crusade finding all the, the, the booby traps and the fallen rocks and... They, they, you know, they find Chester Copperpot's body as he's, you know, pinned under one of these, you know, uh, rolling Raiders of the Lost Ark rocks. And uh, it's really, uh, you know, and you get their whole adventure walking through all this stuff while Chunk's uh, held captive. And, and then after he's done confessing before he gets his hand ground up, uh, well, he didn't get his hand ground up, the 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 movie actually would have took a pretty gruesome turn if that would have happened, but they throw him in there with Chunk and, uh, or with Sloth and Chunk meets Sloth, one of the best friendships in the entire film. And Chunk tries throwing him a baby Ruth. And, uh, obviously, uh, I think Chunk was, a or Sloth was a little familiar with baby Ruth, uh, cause we get the baby, baby, baby Ruth. And, uh, just, uh, you know, a match made in heaven, but I love that when Chunk picks him up after Chunk has his freak out and then they're sharing the uh, <laughs> the baby Ruth, he picks Chunk up while he's still in the chair <laughs> and he goes, oh, you smell like fizz ed. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite lines in the, uh, in the film for sure. So, uh, and, uh, the like I said the uh, the puke story though just uh, just completely got me it was so it was so funny uh, <laughs> and when, before he got his hand put you know threatened to be put into the blender he's like no I'm too young I want to play violin uh, just uh, amazing writing I, I mean if Jeff Cohen improvised any of that it really would truly be a shame that he didn't act more in his younger years but <clears throat> you know they go through we get the organ. Uh, that's collapsing. Uh, you know, you got to play the right, you got to read the music and play the right chord or it's going to collapse, uh, the floors and things like that. And it's such a, you know, uh, an organ made out of bone and that's just amazing imagery and, and amazing set pieces that they created for this to give it that, that pirate, uh, feel. It was just such a, such a cool little scene for sure. You know, and then we, um, but, uh, you know, they go down the, uh, well, they get, you know, down into the, the waterfall and they get, uh, well, they get dumped out into the, the, the wishing well. And, uh, this is probably, you know, this is the apex of the movie for me. This is where you get everything when you're going, when you go into the, when they're at the bottom of the wishing well 
and uh, you get two monologues. You get a testimony from Mouth, and you get a testimony from uh, from uh, Mikey. And uh, it's it's the apex of the film for me, uh, because you know Mouth has such a you know he gets written off obviously in the film as the goofy, loudmouth like kid, but then he has some really important stuff to say and uh, you know it was i'm gonna i'm gonna play it for you because it's it's my favorite part of the movie and i think it it these two testimonies between uh mouth first and then mikey i'm gonna play them both so you can hear them both And that was, uh, you know, one of my uh, my favorite lines because you can, you know, you can see the pain in 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 Mouth's uh, delivery that you know he he's been wronged and too many you know he's taken you know that I wish for something that didn't come true so I'm taking them back I'm taking them all back and I just uh, I love that and I think it's uh, was one of my uh, favorite favorite parts. And, uh, shortly thereafter, you know, we have Troy, we find him, Troy and his two little douche buddies are up at the bottom of the, or up at the top of the well. And, uh, they're talking about how he wants to make it with Andy and he throws a coin down there wishing upon it. And they chuck the coin back up only to find that Andy and Martha are down there with the rest of the Goonies. So of course, you know, Troy is, uh, Andy, what are you doing down there? Total douche. And, uh, you know, Andy has a choice to make. Does she escape because she's terrified for her life going through this and going through booby traps and down there with all these guys? You know, is she one of them or is she one of the country clubians? Is she with Troy? Is she on the, you know, is she, you know, with the rejects or is she with the popular kids? Bottom line. And, you know, she has, uh, she has a decision to make and, and I love that we get, you know, Mikey's testimony because he sees her trying to make the decision to go with Troy up the bucket and escape. Or is she going to be down? Is she going to be down with them? And uh, we get Mikey's uh, testimonial. And I'm going to play that right now. Don't you guys see? Don't you realize? He was a pro. He never made it this far. Look how far we've come. We've got a chance. Chance at what, Mikey? Getting killed? Look, if we keep going, someone's really gonna get hurt. Maybe dead. Besides, we gotta get to the police. Maybe Chunk already got to the police. Maybe Chunk is dead. Don't say that. Never say that. Goonies never say die. I'm not a goonie. I wanna go home. I forgot. But still, don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. 
right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. And that's just one of the best uh, parts in the entire uh, film where Troy just yells, Andy, you goonie. And, uh, you know, that's that's Mikey saying, like, you know, is it, it you know, it's our time. Are you going to, you know, are you going to quit on us and, and go back up there and just submit? Or are you going to ride this out and see if we can't make a change? And that's what, you know, makes it, this movie so great is it's truly about banding together with your friends and, and staying, you know, are you really one of us? Like you don't really associate with us, but are you one of you're really one of us? Are you going to sell yourself out and, you know, be something you're not? And 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 you know, these are t- testimonies both mouths and uh Mikey's that are very prominent cuz these guys feel slighted and you know, they only have each other, they only have their the you know, the friendship that they have as the Goonies to stand up to, you know, having their entire uh lives altered by being forced out of the goondocks and it was just uh it was one of the uh one of the best parts uh of the film for sure i mean it was the most important for sure because that you know we see them get dropped down the uh into the into the water uh after the they uh they rummage through and uh when they get dropped into the water they turn around and see the pirate ship now the pirate ship that was the first time that they saw. They knew that the ship was going to be there, but the actors. That was the first time that they knew that they they were going to they were going to actually see it. So those reactions were pretty genuine, you know. And they, uh, you know, but 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 before uh, before I get ahead of myself, sorry, I'm I'm rambling. Uh, trying to you know make sure I don't miss anything. Um, but before that, they they found the jewels. They found the gems, and they uh, they loaded up. And, uh, you know, they get dropped down the, uh, the big, uh, water slide, uh, which looked amazing and fun, uh, into the water. They see the pirate ship and they, uh, they make their way onto the, to the ship and, uh, they're, you know, forced to walk the plank by Mama Fratelli after she, uh, after she, uh, purges them of all the jewels and the gold that they had found, the, the pirate treasure that they had found. Uh, cause they had found obviously Mikey having a little moment with one eyed Willie prior to, and discovering all of the, the jewels and the gold and their way out to, uh, buying themselves out of, uh, saving, you know, in order to save the goondocks. Uh, but I love that, uh, Mama Fratelli is pulling out these pearl necklaces. I mean, you can read into that if you will, out of mouth's mouth and, oh my God, like it was just, uh, another little funny part there's so many the acting they definitely had uh great chemistry everyone that was in this uh this uh film uh you know they get into it they make andy walk the plank uh brand jumps in after and uh you know we see the uh we see the brothers for telly going at it uh with the goonies and we get chunk and sloth uh, coming to the rescue uh Captain Chunk and, and Sloth uh, making a, a grand uh, pirate-like entrance down. Sloth with the the Sloth Superman shirt, and uh, I love that the brothers are still like uh, fighting because now they're fighting against their brother. The brother's gonna obviously uh, their deformed brother Sloth is going to obviously cream them both, and uh, <laughs> they're like, "Remember, we were gonna get your face fixed, but we spent the money on Francis's toupee." 
I don't wear a toupee. Joey Pants, just fucking classic and clutch in this. And, uh, uh, you know, Sloth has it out with his family. He takes care of his brothers. And then, you know, we find out that the Mama Fratellia drops Sloth a few times. And, uh, you know, he drops her in the water. Sloth's had enough. And Sloth, uh, you know, saves the, uh, the day. And it was just, uh, you know, an amazing moment and you know you've reached uh you know the climax at this point but the bottom line is are they going to save their town are they going to save uh are they going to save it and uh they make their way out onto the beach of the pacific ocean and there they are you know and everybody's there the um the the walshes are there all the parents that have been looking for them are all there and uh, here's the moment, and Troy's father shows up, and it was just like, it's time to sign the papers, Walsh, let's let's get it done, let's do this. And uh, luckily, you know, Rosalita had found uh, the gems in Mikey's marble bag, and then the day is saved. They don't have to sign the contract to sell away their home. They rip it up, and they're not moving out of Astoria. And... Uh, the evil rich uh, powers that be, the the white uh, country clubians do not win. And just a feel-good story all around. And uh, like I said, this is obviously a little bit different um, because I didn't have anybody to actually talk the film with me. Um, but we do have uh, Lou Smith is going to be calling in momentarily. And he's going to discuss uh, the legacy of the film and uh, answer a few questions on the film and uh, give you kind of his experiences on it and uh, i'm grateful that i got uh him to come on um because like i said obviously no one can really be in the same room with anyone so you're kind of relying on people being available for phone calls and um and uh yeah it's just like i said uh thank you for this was supposed to be way more fantastical than it was and i wanted to have several people on talking the goonies but it didn't happen. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now, and uh, I'm just glad that I could get through and uh, and do this episode. But the uh, the legacy of this film is is very interesting because it opens on June seventh, nineteen eighty five, and it makes worldwide grosses sixty two over sixty two and a half million, and. Uh, the the domestic gross most of that uh 62.3 million was made in the United States which was the domestic uh, and it cost 19 million to make so it did uh you know it you know three times the money is what you want to make for a film to be successful so it made three times it was considered a success and uh it made uh 9.1 million its opening weekend on the weekend of June June 7th 1985 and, uh, like I said, the filming locations were Cannon Beach, Oregon, Astoria, Oregon, and, uh, the, um, the, uh, Warner, uh, studio lot and the sound stages at Warner and Burbank. And, uh, we're going to give Lou Smith a call right now and see what he has to say about the legacy of the Goonies. Hey, what's up, man? What's going on? So, uh, obviously, this is the uh, part two of uh, Legacy Week featuring the Goonies. And uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, some Goonies stuff. Very cool. So, dude, so I was thinking about this. And this is like, I think for me, especially because growing up, this was kind of, it kind of found that realm of films that like my dad would sit down and watch with me. And there wasn't a there wasn't a ton of them. I know I told you like Predator, for example, right. would be something he would sit down. The Delta Force movies, any Steven Seagal film with three syllables in the title, he would sit down <laughs> and watch that with me. You know, but uh, but dude with the Goonies, um, he would watch it with me. But what I think I love most about it is it was kind of one of those weird like childhood fantasy movies, right? And for so, sure, like, I, I put it in the realm of like you know fucking Camp Nowhere and like. Um, what was it like? Camp Last Nowhere, classic. Dude, Last Action Hero, one of those like movies where it's like, God damn, 
I would like that to happen to me as a kid. Oh, you know? hell yeah. Like, so I think that was what really like killed me as a kid because it was just like, wow, this is badass. They find a fucking pirate ship in a cave and they're being chased by like, you know, mobsters. Quote, yeah, quote, yeah. Like. <laughs> that was a great tie-in having them be like a, a little small family crime syndicate of a deformed brother, two, <laughs> two Italian brothers. One is Joey Pants and is fucking... It is uh has a toupee. The other one just fucking breaks out into Italian opera at random. And uh it was just such a fucking like interesting little clan, but the cast mixed and, and meshed so well to make the film like truly believable. I was talking uh I was talking about like how great Chunk the guy who played the kid who played Chunk, uh Jeff Cohen was. And for all intents and purposes, uh it was his only real film role. He had done like some T V stuff. But it was his only real film role, and he was the youngest one of all the actors. And his delivery of uh, <laughs> certain things when he was talking, when Chunk was trying to convince Mikey not to use the bathroom when they're in the broken down restaurant that the Fratellis are hiding in. Yeah. And he's like, there could be things back there, Mikey, dead things. <laughs> and like when he's caught in the, when, when they discover the fucking thing of ice, the, the refrigerator in the basement of ice cream. And uh, the fucking body falls out and it falls on Chunk and Chunk go just goes, it's a stiff. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, even if that wasn't written, like if he didn't improvise that, just his delivery of it at such a young age is so fucking impressive. So that's, I, I didn't know that, that he was a, not only the youngest, but like B, you know, relatively no experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's wild because in a movie that essentially revolves around a bunch of kid actors, it's like, you know, there's there's definitely a fine line between, like, you know, straight to, to the Disney Channel movies or, like, something that appears in theaters. It's a blockbuster, right? Right. And it's cool that that they were able to pull that off, not only from, like, a writing perspective, but also the kids' deliveries. I mean, dude, some of those scenes in particular, like, how crazy is it that there's not even adults in those scenes? Like, for example... Um, when they when they find like the actual before they get to the the pirate ship and they find uh, the wishing well or whatever right and they're all flipping out because there's all the money and it's like it's beautiful you know like there's 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 these really vivid scenes where it's like these aren't these aren't seasoned actors or actresses delivering these lines no they're right? kids they're kids and that's insane to me because I I don't know about you like I'm kind of I'm kind of picky with kid actors oh for like, sure because there's it can easily get into the realm of like overacting in a way like, yeah, it gets good, hokey. A, well, a good example that I, I, and don't get me wrong. Cause I love the movie, but like Kirsten Dunst in Jumanji is a perfect example of like overacting for a kid. Oh, right? for sure. I, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but like, if you, if you go back and rewatch it at some point, like just keep an eye out for it. Cause there's a couple scenes where it's like, that's really forced. But, but anyway, um, that was an example of a movie, not only because of the cast and the the story behind it, but they really did a great job of uh, of of handpicking those kids. Oh, Why? for sure. And it's uh, you know, written by uh, the screenplay written by Christopher Columbus, who did uh, obviously he went on to direct like Home Alone and things like that, but wrote you know just some of the the best uh, movies of all time, you know, Gremlins and uh, obviously, and then Richard Donner who is just, you know, directed the Omen, Lethal Weapon, like, they had a, all had a great rapport, and Steven Spielberg coming up with the initial story, uh, I think he made it, you know, his ideas, he's the one that made it seem so fantastical, and so, like, bigger than life, and nothing, nothing that happens in the movie is out of the realm of possibility, except for maybe the octopus in the TV version, didn't, now, were you aware of that, you were aware of that part, right? wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so what does this have is does this like when they're in the apartment or is this in the like in the cave so it's in the it's in the cave uh so when they get dropped into the water when they first go into the water and then look up and see the pirate ship mm-hmm. as they're so in the tv i don't know why there there's two scenes that were in the tv they were in the tv version of the movie so they were two scenes that were added to the tv movie now, I think they were added because the film is, you know, they could have added them to make it a little long to fit that 
two hour TNT block. You know what I mean? With commercials. So two scenes that were added to the TV version, if you ever watched it on television, were when they, uh, after they, or before they go on the little bike excursion to the, the little plant there, or the, uh, the little, uh, broken down restaurant they all go to the convenience store uh beforehand and chunks in there and chunks eating like ice cream in the store like got his head in the thing and then uh uh troy the the local jock asshole comes in and like crushes uh chunk in there and is shit talking the the brothers walsh about how his father's gonna take he'll be signing over the papers for their house tonight or tomorrow and so okay so before so I think, and and I'm gonna check this out. Just you know, whatever. I'll text you later about it. it's not important right now. But I think I have some weird bastardized version because I know for a fact that I I have that scene where they're in the convenience store because I know that I can literally see Chunk bent over. Doesn't he say something like, "I'm so de- oh no no"? That's when they're sitting in the in the house. I'm so depressed, and he's like. He's squirting the fucking whipped cream in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. So, so I do believe that I have the I I have the version or I have a version of it. I got it from Target or whatever. It was like one of those weird like you know five ninety nine DVD sales right around Christmas. Um, and I also have the VHS, but that's like that's my dad's house. But I'm pretty sure I have that scene, but I don't have a scene with like the octopus. And when so- I said like, it, does this take place at the apartment? For some reason, I was envisioning that like they have in their little home or whatever um in the goondocks they have a fish tank in there but i was thinking of something completely different i didn't know if that was no so uh, so when they're going up the pirate ship after they get dumped in the water and they're going up to climb onto the ship uh it's a deleted scene it was in the tv version of the film um and i'm not sure if it was on the initial dvd release it may have been it may not have been uh, but it was definitely in the deleted scenes they actually you know uh, Martha and, uh, mouth, uh, Martha's walking in front of, uh, mouth and mm-hmm. the, an octopus is underwater and it rubs its tentacles on her, the back of her legs and her butt. And she turns around and she's just like, quit it mouth. And then, uh, he, it happens again. And you see like, you know, the wild fucking kind of eyes of the octopus and its tentacles. And she turns around to like confront mouth about it. And then the octopus like, r- wraps them both up for a second and it's really like just such a such a small scene it's probably like a minute and 10 seconds total and then you know then they just kind of like escape it and it swims away and they crawl crawl back up the ship dude i I think that i mean obviously the movie's chock full just like nonstop, like action adventure like fantasy whatever however you want to describe it but like i didn't think think something like that even though that's like a minute like long scene that would have added because, like, that's the thing. I, I've never seen that to my recollection. I might have seen it when I was a kid and it didn't resonate or whatever because right. there was so much that happened. But even hearing that, hearing you tell this to me now, that would have added such an, a whole other element because it's like there's danger pretty much around every corner. And I and for whatever reason, um, thinking about it now, it's like I think when they actually find the ship, they find one I was like ship and they climb up that's kind of the, oh, the danger's over. We've escaped the fatalities. We got to the, you know, we got to the the end of the map, whatever. We found the ship. Everything's great, you know, and it's like, even to have that be like, holy shit, we're not out of the fucking woods just yet, you know? Like, right. There, there's a there's an octopus in here. Like, that's fucking awesome, man. I'm going to have to check that out on the deleted scenes on this DVD that I got because I need to see this. Is it is it like, uh, like full, like practical effects? Yeah. Oh, movie, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I I was I vaguely remembered the octopus scene, um, but I always remember the convenience store scene uh, from watching it, like wherever it was showing on uh, on television. But but yeah, it's uh you know you were obviously a kid when you first saw the film. Oh yeah. And uh, you know what was uh you know was this so th- was this like a staple movie as you were uh, you know a kid? Was this like one of the one of the favorites in the in the bunch? This definitely was, and and I think, so the collection that I had, you know, or, or the collection that we had, it was basically, it was stored exclusively at my dad's house, and I think I had gotten this as a present, um, so my grandfather um, on my dad's house, my dad's stepdad, he would go and uh, 
you know, go to Video King or, or go to Faze or Ackers or whatever. He just was always buying things for other people. Um, and he loved the movies. That was like one of his big things, right? He right. had a really crazy VHS collection, but for Christmases and birthdays and, and randomly, he would always be buying people movies, right? And my my dad very rarely would get something from him. Like, I remember one time, you know, he got like Platoon, for example. And then he, my dad was like, oh, that's good. And then my grandfather bought him like Hamburger Hill. And my dad never watched that. Like, I ended up watching that, which is, an, a, if you've never seen that, that's like an extremely intense vietnam oh like, yeah movie. I, it's, it's i i own great. that one it's one of my favorites actually it's great but anyway so i i that was one of those that i got from my grandfather very early on and like i said that was something that my dad would actually watch you know like he would sit down and watch that with me because not only i don't know if he got a kick out of well he loved chunk and he actually <laughs> he referred to cole ackerman especially when like he was getting like getting the little bit more scabby <laughs> hair is dumb, and he constantly do for like for like two years was constantly like Cole do the truffle shuffle and like he actually would he could jiggle the 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 his fat on his stomach like so well it oh was uncanny God. dude especially when he got the curly hair a little bit like <laughs> yeah he really took like, on full chunkdom oh it was so creepy but yeah so to answer your question this was this is definitely one of those movies that it would it was always there and it was constantly whether it was like you know, we would throw it on like right before bed or if it's like something in the background when like dinner's being made or whatever. Um, this was in heavy, definitely was in heavy rotation. You, you know, I, I think that kind of speaks to it. This fact that your, your old man could, uh, old Jerry could appreciate it too. It speaks to how universal the film really is and how it's not really just a kid's film. Uh, especially cause some of the language in it, uh, they don't get too brutal or anything, but just like the little, the little tiny things, like when the, they break the statue uh, and uh, they find out that the junk is broken on the statue and Micah goes, oh, it's my mom's favorite piece. Like, how would your son know that? That's really strange. Dude, but in, in another part, too, like some of the dialogue. So, you know, the uh, the Fatelli's like mother basically throw mama from the train. Like, Oh, yeah. Ann Ramsey. Classic. Yes. So um, another like some of the lines that she'll deliver too, like. Uh, even that one scene when she chases them out and it's like kids suck it's like small things like that where it's like definitely engaged towards the adults but it's it's not something so vulgar but you know that like every parent that's watching that is like god damn it she's so right oh yeah like just dealing with these like asshole little kids nosy ass kids the uh Um, what really i mean the kids make the film all the acting and especially i you know i've spoken on mikey and mouse testimony that they have at the bottom of the well are both like prominent points of the film obviously that's kind of like the the apex and the movie is a is about like you know friendship it's about like sticking by your friends and uh but all the little nuances of the actors that are in it just completely are so good like i (laughs) the the little thing because you have these kids that have never a lot of them have never really they haven't done much or if anything and then you have you know josh brolin who played brand the other the older brother who went on to have a huge hollywood film career this was his film debut. So you have someone who's 17 making his film debut, someone who's 11, uh, Jeff Cohen, who's playing Chunk, making his film debut. But then you have Joey, uh, Joe Pantolino and Robert Davi playing the Fratelli brothers and Ann Ramsey, who were all veteran, like relatively, you know, well, not well, it's not known, for, certainly known. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you just get like such a, it's such a unique blend of talent. And the Fratelli brothers just kill me. Like, I love when, I love that Jake Fratelli, played by Robert Davi, is just singing like an Italian. And fucking Chunk's just trying to, this poor deformed fucking guy is chained to the fucking basement. And they're throwing food at him when he's trying to sing Italian. He's like, you're ruining it! You're ruining it! Like, <laughs> like this poor bastard. And uh, one of my favorite scenes is between uh, Jake Fratelli and Chunk when chunk runs to the fucking <laughs> chunk runs to the <laughs> chunk runs to the uh the highway as after he escapes the basement and he's yes. like please mister the fratellis are after us they're there's they're escaped they're hiding in this old restaurant and then fucking he flips the light on you see robert dobby's reflection in the thing and chunk goes like chunk goes silent with wide-eyed and then just starts reciting the Igla- the the italian opera that he was singing <laughs> and robert dobby 
Ben, come in! It just like breaks into it, and then Chunk screams like, "That's just fucking brilliant!" Between a veteran actor and a kid that's never acted in a film before. It's in, in some of those scenes too, between specifically between Chunk and, and the fatalities. Like the one of one of my favorite lines too is when it's like when they're going through with a blender, cuts <laughs> the little fingers in half, and then and then she and then they're like, "Spill your guts, kid! Tell us everything." Everything. 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 Dude, so hilarious. There's just, and like I said, I don't know. I haven't read the script. I know they sell copies of the script. You can buy them online and stuff. I may have to get it just to see what was improvised and what wasn't because uh, when they're going to put Chunk's hand in the blender, he's like, no, I'm too young. I want to play violin. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I would definitely be interested to see like how much that was improvised because honestly I never I guess I never really thought about that because you know I feel like when you talk about like improvisation you think of people who have acting experience right because for sure it's a whole other form of, of acting so it'd be really awesome to be like no this kid is just kind of a spaz he's he's very tiring like he's 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 always he's super loud he's got something to say constantly you know he's a talker he eats a lot like i would just love to see if like some of that shit was just like no let's here here's his line here's a scene let's see how he reacts you know like that i i would be very interested to see it see how much of that was if any was like improv or, or literally um his you know his character his actor basically the actor that played him doing his thing you yeah know? yeah even even if it wasn't even if it was all from the script his delivery of it is impressive for someone who has relatively no acting experience flawless one might say because it's so it's such a ridiculous character but it's so i don't know it's memorable dude like you don't forget shit like that same with like dude same with uh what is it uh booby traps or no no Oh, booby traps, booby traps. That's what I said. Booby traps. Yeah. Like, all that shit with data. Like, oh my god, dude. That that stuff never it never gets old. And it's like you can. I love just randomly pulling that shit out because it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's like oh, I'm referencing the Goonies. Oh, oh yeah, and it's it's such little nuances of films I find funny the more I watch them. And I've been watching. We obviously have seen this film since we were, you know, probably discovering film. And uh, mm-hmm. it's so funny to like when they're when mama fratelli's pulling out the the pearl necklace out of mouth's mouth you, i mean you could take the whatever whatever kind of <laughs> under undertones that that is right there but uh but when she's just pulling it out and she's going oh my god <laughs> it's, it's just fucking clap it's just so it's so goddamn entertaining all these years later it's still as entertaining now as it was when we first saw it how about the uh, just one one last thing? Cause I, I wanted to see your your thoughts on this because it's I always I one other interesting element to kid actors is when you can tell that their lines that were written for them might not necessarily have been appropriate for them. So how about the entire sequence when Rosalita is getting walked around the, the apartment and <laughs> and Mouth is is fucking doing his translations and it's like uh, you know we we know the scene but it's like. I've noticed there's a couple times when he walks off screen. I think it's when he's talking about the sexual, like, torture yeah, room. M- or yeah, Mr. Walsh's sexual torture devices in the attic. So when he walks off screen, I'm pretty sure he's grinning. So it's like, I I wonder, A, if he knows what he's saying. I mean, he... he, he de- Corey Feldman delivers his lines pretty... As far as Spanish is concerned, I can't speak it, but it's, he sounds pretty good at what he's doing, right? So it's like... I wonder how much of that he knew what he was saying or somebody told him what he was saying and he was kind of like, hey, I'm getting away with saying this shit. I probably wouldn't be able to do this at home or whatever, you know? Like, I, I always find it interesting with child actors, you know? So I think Feldman... So uh, to kind of put a bow on this, did you see the 35th anniversary that they just did for this as a Zoom meeting? No. So it's on YouTube. Uh, Josh Gad, who is an actor, he was in a bunch of different films. He was recently in that Onward movie, I think it was called, uh, Disney movie. So he is a big, he's a Goonies super fan. So he got everyone that was available to do it, which is the entire cat, the entire kid cast, every single person from the kid, including Josh Brolin. He got Christopher Columbus to call in. He got uh, Richard Donner, the director, who is now 90 years old. 
And he got Robert Davi and Joey Pants, who played the Fratelli brothers, and Steven Spielberg to come on this Zoom meeting. God damn. And they're taught, they talk, it's only like a half hour long, but they talk with everyone, and it is so, so much fun to watch, to watch that. And Feldman does, they, they ask Feldman, they're like, did you know Spanish or did you say it? And he recites the lines verbatim in spanish he's like once you learn them you never forget them oh man that's great so yeah you definitely gotta watch that one because you know today i i don't know if you were aware but today actually marks the the exact 35th anniversary of the film so in honor of that i will be checking that out today then because i need to see this i'm just blown away they got everyone to to call in that's insane to me i mean i mean thank the pandemic because no one had anything going on (laughs) Yeah, right. They haven't been shooting films for the last three months. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but like I said, uh, The Goonies obviously is a landmark film, and I think I think this film is universal. I think it's timeless, and I think kids are going to be enjoying it twenty years from now. At, le- at the very least, I hope. I mean, it, it's uh, it's survived and endured, uh, you know, decades, and is thirty five years old today. So, I think you know, uh, the, as much as we're gushing about it now, I think that speaks to its legacy. Yeah, very much agreed. Well, awesome, man. I appreciate you popping on and uh, talking uh, talking the Goonies with me for, you know, 22-ish minutes. <laughs> wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have it any other way, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, brother. And that uh, wraps up uh, part two of Legacy Week with the Goonies. Uh, thank you for anyone who's uh, downloaded and listened to uh, the last episode, and thanks to anyone who will download and listen to... Uh, this episode i really uh really appreciate it and it's it's been awesome uh like i said the the first uh however many minutes of this podcast you'll hear me uh going on about it but uh, i was glad to have lou come on and uh laugh with me and talk about how much we love this film uh for 20 some odd minutes so thank you you can find us on instagram at heart media and on Twitter at HeartGuy Media, and you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can find us, and I thank you for tuning in.